0: Well, today we come to our final and fifth study of chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. As we've said, if you look on your sermon notes, it's the importance of being sexually pure in your body. And when we come to this study, I've said over and over, it's very critical because of the day and age in which we live. I truly believe we are living in a time when perversion, sexual perversion, is beyond the pale. It is um, something that is so open. Uh, It's not more so that I think man is more sinful because as we talk about God's expectation of sinful sexual purity for mankind, we must remember the flood came because of violence and sexual sin. And here's a picture of the rebuilt ark down in the Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area. But I was gonna have you turn there. I don't think I'll have you turn there. But just remember Genesis chapter 6 That the flood comes because the sons of God were intermarrying with the sons of men. And I've always taken that sons of God as being professing believers. We're just saying, we don't care who we marry. And in essence, there was incredible sexual perversion as well as violence. The Nephilim, the word Nephilim comes from a Hebrew word means to fall, to attack. Violence was in the world. And from that time on, sexual perversion and, and violence has not stopped. But God sent this flood so that he showed mankind, I, I recognize this is serious and I'm bringing judgment because man has so perverted himself in those areas. And so as we've progressed and now we come to an era when we have this thing called the Internet that allows people to have things in their home, in their cars, anywhere, any place. You can go out into a field and get internet. And you can view things that are good and things that are incredibly perverse. And we are living in a day and age when, yeah, you've got to be aware. And, you know, parents try to put protection on the internet, but even still... Kids know how to get around it, they do, and adults know how to get around it. And like I said, and I've shared through this, when I was a kid, I'd go, we'd go to my grandmother's house on Sundays and we would take a route that always took us by this um, movie theater that showed X-rated movies. And it was something that, even when I got to be a kid, and I could try to sneak in there, you were terrified to go in there because of just being associated with those types of perversions. And what we're understanding is now that those fears aren't there because people can just, in the privacy of their home, in the privacy of their car, be finding all kinds of access to things that they would never, ever, ever feel comfortable doing out in public, viewing in public, but they're doing it now. And because what we're seeing is that this, this isn't just the internet, it, it's all forms of media, that people are being drawn into sexual perversions like never before. And so now we've got this thing called a cell phone and people can use this to Snapchat, to send messages, sex one another and it's allowing people to do things that are just perverse as well as to hook up in ways that they would never have been able to hook up without having this available and it's not this cell phone alone it's just what I'm saying is that these are tools now that are happening that allow the perversion to happen in greater ways than ever before and what we need to do is uh, just be aware of it. Now, I could say stay away from movies or TV, the internet or cell phones, but we've got to recognize this is an onslaught, and we're watching bad court decisions that allow more sexual perversion. We're, we're seeing churches become weaker because, I used this slide before, because um, there's more false teachers on television, and there's more of... Uh, Uh, a false sense of security with an easy believism that's being taught. And so you've got, going back to the court decisions, people saying, you know, it's perfectly perfectly fine for um, two men to get married. You think, you've got to be kidding me. Um, This has been an onslaught upon our culture so that for those of us who were born in the 60s, who grew up in the 60s, you know, we're from an era like where TV shows, people can't even imagine where the husband and wife didn't even sleep in the same bed on that TV show, let alone, you know, have any allusion to any type of extramarital activity. And now, 90, like I said last week, it's been said over 95% of the activity on television is a sexual relationship outside of marriage. And, it is almost now commonplace. You know, I was getting dressed in the Y yesterday, and they have a TV on, and they were showing the Olympics. And one of the little episodes where they talked about one of the athletes was talking about how they're a homosexual and how wonderful it is, and how they came out. And I'm thinking, this is going out, and it just becomes like the norm as well. This is accepted, and this is, the, this is, this is just the way things are. Well, in God's eyes, that's not the way it is. And we, we said America, I've said, America is in moral decline. This is a great picture of the fact that we've got to recognize that what's happening isn't that man is more sinful. And that's why I go back to the flood. It's just that it's become more open. It's very much more open, and we have to be aware. Fleeing is advised. Look at verse 18. Flee immorality. Verse 18, every other sin the man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. God is saying run from it. Don't participate in it. Run from it. Do whatever you can to not participate in it, because if you get involved in sexual immorality it begins to warp your mind and we said also bring in the concept of the violation for a believer that you're bringing God into that sin so we said God has rules for sex and how we live and I didn't repeat those but it was like that you know sex is between a man and a woman it's only to happen after you're married and that love is to guide everything that you do So as we come to our text today, we learn that because of the Holy Spirit, our bodies are a temple not to be used for illicit sex. Let me read verses 19 to 20. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are no longer your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And you can underline in verse 19 the the words Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been with us, your sermon notes outline, we're in the third part, but the first two parts were showing that as we went through verses 12 to 14, it was dealing with God the Father, and then from verses 15 to 18, you pick up in verse 15 to 18, we begin talking about Christ. And for the believer, all three members of the Trinity are involved, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to wrap it up by looking at what the Holy Spirit's role is in this. But through it all, we said, remember, God restores and is a God of second chances for the believer. You can overcome sexual sins, okay? You can overcome sexual sins. When I first became a believer, I was involved um, in a case where I became aware of someone that was incredibly perverse. Uh, A young girl was involved in some sexual immorality and my heart's desire was to see her repent, and, and everyone that was around her wanted her to repent, and the, the thought was is that when you really, really repent, you don't participate in it again, and sadly, she wouldn't stop. My thing is, is if she would, and if a person here has committed sexual sin, God is a God that restores, and God is a God that gives grace. And everyone in this room, and that's why I put on my notes, I said this before, this is a subject that many of us have violated, either before salvation and some afterward. I've stressed God's forgiveness, the fact there's only one unpardonable sin, and sexual sin is forgivable. But I also want us to have the warning going forward. And so we need to recognize that we need to repent if we're involved in this. And lastly, to continue to keep this before you, God wants people to have marital bliss. God is not against sexual activity. God is all for it, but you gotta play by his rules. And here's the thing. You need to fear, you need to fear that if you don't, you can't have this. You know, it's just like you try to drive your car, you put your, you know, I don't know, put something in place of the steering wheel, Uh, tire it really isn't going to work the same you don't play by god's rules you're not going to have an operational vehicle and even in your marriage so let's get into this text if we if you haven't you can take that down brian thank you um we are in the third part and it says consider your relationship with the holy spirit okay and in your body. The context is we've just saw how Jesus Christ operates within us, and now he says in verse 19, "Do you, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And that line, do you not know, is what every kid often hears from his parent when they've said, hey, didn't I tell you you gotta take out the garbage? Didn't I tell you that you've got this responsibility? I don't know if a boss would ever throw that before you. But the idea here, we said, it's like this is a common theme in this book okay you know look at verse 2 chapter 6 verse 2 do you not know that the saints will judge the world well how would they have known the saints were going to judge the world well because we believe paul taught them and we believe when you come to verse 19 that paul taught them that the body is a temple of the holy spirit so fill in the first blank as a christian your body is a temple of the holy spirit and this is a very significant point, all right? This time the question is about how their bodies represent the temple of God. The implication is that the Corinthians would have known this because Paul would have taught them. Otherwise, why would Paul be so incredulous? This is demeaning, otherwise, to the challenge of their knowledge. Yet Paul asked them in this book at least 10 times, do you not know something? Now, Paul uses the plural word, word your, okay? Okay. You see, in verse nineteen, he says, "Do you know that your body—that's plural, not singular—body though is singular." <coughs> and the question is, is like, is he just talking about the collective whole? Well, in a sense, yes, but in a sense, you got to recognize that the, that the collective whole is made up of individuals, and every individual there is the reality that God comes and lives inside them. So it's 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 he's talking to the church but it has definite implications for every individual each person must recognize the presence of God in their lives now I want you to grasp this this is mind-boggling as I've thought about this as I've contemplated this all right you know we have a church building but the church is made up of the people for the for the Old Testament Jews, they had a building, and that building was where God was. And I want you to go back to when the temple was first dedicated, First Kings chapter 8, okay? Go in your Old Testaments. It's sort of the first third of the Bible, the book of First Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. I gotta get there myself. David wanted to build the king the 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 temple for God, and yet God said, you know, you you can't do it. You've killed too many people for whatever reason. God says, I don't want you to be the person that builds this um, temple. I want your son to do it. Solomon, who was given wisdom, builds this incredible facility the gold the silver it's it's overwhelming this place is phenomenal that that they create they said that there was so much silver in there that it became not even like something that was considered valuable because there was so much of it when you come to chapter 8 of first kings you have to understand this is when the temple is being dedicated it's one of the most famous prayers in all the scripture and When we start off the chapter, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant up, and they're going to put it in the temple. And Let's pick up in verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the fathers of the households of the sons of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is in Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast. Okay, and they've come together and verse 4, they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of the meeting and all the utensils. Verse 5, it says, And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted or numbered. And here, then the priest brought the ark of the covenant to its place, into the inner sanctuary of what? The house, the temple. The temple. Okay, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen outside, because outside they, they are there to this day, the day of this writing. Okay, So here we pick up, this is where I wanted to go to in verses 9 to 11. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at the Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. It happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This is where you have to realize the visible presence of God was. God was actually in this temple. Through this cloud, this was an incredible, incredible reality that they had this, and it was in the Holy of Holies. And when the high priest went in there, that's when he interacted with it, but nobody else had access. That's why we talk about today, we, we have this access to God, and now we're learning from the Holy Spirit. This reality of this holy God now lives inside us he now lives inside us and when we studied last week about being sealed in the spirit the reality of it is is that the holy spirit's presence in our life is that he's never going to leave us nor forsake us we are temples of god we have this inside us how dare we have premarital sex how dare we have extramarital sex how dare we right But still, we get caught up in things that we shouldn't. And we ask God for forgiveness. We ask God for grace. We ask God for his mercy. But this is what we need to do. We need to be people that recognize the serious nature of this issue. We need to be people that understand that because we are believers, God lives inside us. I mean, that's mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. So go back then to 1 Corinthians chapter six, all right? And understand, as he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And we have to recognize it. And I used this illustration last week, and I use it again. There's so much of us, we would all recognize that we would not participate in sexual sin if we knew somebody was watching us. Well, here's the blessing, the reality. Every one of us can know that God is with us and we can have this mindset, it should keep us from participating in things that are improper. It's just that simple. It's that simple. And so, you know, keep that mindset. Now, he takes it to another level. And this is very fascinating, the way he takes us. And he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? All right, so we know that the Holy Spirit has come from God. And he goes, and that you're not your own. Well, where's this going? This is going into the fact, the second point, as a Christian, God owns you. Fill in the blank with the word owns you. Honor him, because we get this link, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And the idea, glorifying God, is because he owns us. And, you know, when you own something, you can take up residence in it, right? And God says, I own you. And here's this mindset of a little bit of of slavery. And we remember at this time, like 50% of the world were slaves, didn't matter what race. And this was the economic way that people operated at this time. And many people would say, okay, we understand it. When somebody owns you, they're able to control you. And so that is in the mindset. And I just want to show you, let me see, uh, as we look through this, like we're definitely talking about the fact that we're talking about slave and master relationship. Because when you jump over to chapter 22 of chapter 7, jump into the next chapter, he says and I'll pick up in context, verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you are able to become free, rather do that. Verse 22, chapter seven, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse 22, for he who, who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. And And there's the reality, like everyone here that is a believer, we need to recognize that, that there's an aspect where Christ is our master and he owns us. Now, some people might say, well, wait, I don't like this whole concept of this terminology. I don't like the whole concept of master and slave. Well, here's a spiritual reality and I want you to turn back to Romans chapter six is everyone needs to understand that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and that means that there's a spiritual reality That is operating and Romans chapter six alludes to the reality that everyone is in this room is either controlled by God or they're controlled by evil, sin, and Satan. One of those two is your master. And so the apostle Paul comes into this great argument in 1 Corinthians chapter, I mean Romans chapter 6, and we're gonna get in there. He's talking in this chapter about how do we live as believers? How do we live living out our lives regarding to being born again, and do we continue in sin? So verse 1 says of chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may may increase? He says, may it never be. That, that's the strongest negation that you can say in a Greek language. No, it, we should never do this. And, and he says, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And so as he works through this argument, you move down to verse 11, and he says, even... Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to to God in Christ Jesus. People who are believers in God need to realize that God wants us to consider ourselves dead to sin. What do you mean? Sin's influence. When sin says to jump, you're no longer to jump. You're no longer to be under its temptation, under its allurement. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you, what? Obey its lust. The idea of a master and a slave that sin tells, I want you to do something and, you know, you do it. Well, for the believer, we've got to recognize because we have the Holy Spirit in us, because he now owns us and he can take up residence in us, we can listen to him. We don't have to listen to our sinful flesh. We don't have to listen to sin. We don't have to obey its lust. And when you begin to recognize the power that you have, I believe it begins to bring about your freedom, freedom to do right, freedom to be able to be right in Christ. So verse 13, do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be what? Master over you. For you are not under under law but under grace. what does that mean well it's not a system of rules that's now controlling you it's the very fact that this God who lives in you is generating a desire to do what's right and so that you don't have to you don't have to listen to what your flesh wants you to do Well anyone that's gone through this this process as we call this sanctification, we know that the flesh can the flesh can scream really loud and the f- temptations you know, can be very, very loud. And, and so uh, whether it's sin in the sexual area, sin in some other area, you, know, you just sense that you've got to give in. You've got to give in. And God is trying to get us to understand that through this process, as sin yells to you, don't listen to it. Listen to God. Don't present your members as listening to to sin, but alive to God. Um, Verse 14 For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then, verse 15 says, shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So here's a question Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the sin um, of the one whom you obey? And if you can't see a broken pattern in your life, then you've got a problem. You've got to say, well, Who's your master? and for the believer you know i'm hoping that you who you know if you say you're struggling with something you can say well there's been broken patterns and you can say i've confessed sin and i've moved on and i want to continue to honor god and maybe for some of you it's an ongoing struggle and and what i want you to realize too is the very nature of the temptation just because you have a temptation doesn't mean that you're giving in i mean someone could yell at you at the you know come to your door hey come on out come on out come on out but you don't come out that's you know that doesn't mean that you're not a believer or you're not ruined right the fact that the flesh will continue to scream at you shouldn't be an indicator that you're not a believer but if you keep coming out if someone comes to your door and says come on out come out let's do illicit things and you come outside then yeah that's the problem the very fact that you're getting the call doesn't mean that there's a problem you understand the difference so when you finally give in and you finally obey that's the problem and and you can see if you know if someone doesn't see that broken pattern there's there's an alarm there there's a problem there so verse 14 or, excuse me, verse fifteen. What shall we say then? Shall we, shall, shall we sin because we are no longer under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God, through though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And there's the key that you should see from your heart that you wanna obey Christ, that you wanna obey God. And, you know, I like the fact that he says it's coming from the heart, it's coming to the one that we wanna obey, the fact that we wanna please God. And it's very important that we all remember this. You know, when you have Christ as your master, you have a master who cares about you, who loves you. When you have Satan as your master, he could care less if he, he, he what end ever happens to your life? You know, someone says, well, I just don't care. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it, you know, in essence, I'm going to say I'm going to go Satan's way. Well, the reality is Satan could care less. He wants to destroy your life. He, he absolutely will, you know. And sadly, being a pastor, I've been made too much aware of how sexual perversion destroys lives, absolutely destroys lives. And we need to fear it. You absolutely need to fear it because it can, well, it brings not only separation but long-term effects, not only within the couple of themselves but the children, families, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so here's that reality. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 6. As Christians, God owns you, All right? And so, look at this passage again. He says, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. You're not your own. What do you mean I'm not my own? Well, because God owns me and he can now come up. It's his home, this body. He takes residence in me, he lives in me, he controls me. And therefore, how important it is that I wanna honor him and I wanna make sure that wherever I go, I'm recognizing he's going with me, so there's nothing secret going on in my life. And as he goes on, he says this in verse 20. He says, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, what does this have to do? Well, the fact that we've been bought, this ability for him to go out and purchase us, okay? This uses what's called redemption theology, the idea of paying a price to pay you know, to buy someone, you would buy a slave, you would pay a price for them, that's what God did, he paid the price, he purchased us, and a passage that every one of us should always keep before us is in First Peter chapter 1, turn there, it'll be our last passage I believe we're going to turn to, but it's critical that you always keep this before you, you know, if sometimes you think, well, you know, this is, there's so much in this I don't understand, there's so much of this, I don't understand why God does this. Why, why, do, we, why do we use terminology like this? Um, slaves, and I, we want to put all this stuff behind us. Well, this is the spiritual reality that everyone has a master. Everyone is either a slave of righteousness or a slave to sin. And, and when we were under um, sin and when we were under Satan's control, as man lives by doesn't live by bread alone by, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God there was a system, and Satan owned us and Satan controlled us. But First Peter chapter one says this in verse seventeen, and I want to I'll, p- I'll pick up in verse fourteen, as obedient children do not be conformed to the former's lusts which was yours in ignorance, because prior to becoming a believer we didn't know God's ways we didn't understand God's ways. He says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Be separate from sin, be different, not just in the sexual area, but in all areas. And he says, verse 17, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time on earth. So if you recognize that this isn't a game and that God is gonna judge everyone for how we lived our lives, and he's going to do it individually. He's not going to do it collectively. I'm not going to stand for my wife or my children. He's going to look at me, and I'm responsible for me. I can't you know, stand in for any of you. God's going to look at my life, what I knew, what I was supposed to do. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed, that's the idea of purchased, okay? All right? So, you, you know, you go and you buy a slave and you pay a price, white, black, green, purple, Asian, whatever, God uses this terminology to get us to understand that we were purchased, every human being was purchased, not with perishable things, verse 18, like silver or gold from your futile ways of life. We're not talking about things like, where the world says oh my goodness gold is so valuable silver is so valuable we're talking about the purchase was made with something far more significant verse 19 both precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of christ and then goes on to talk about how he was known before the foundation of the world what we've got to recognize is that you know we we have been bought with something so valuable and the picture here is grasp that, understand the significance of that. Because if you do, then you don't play around with this arena of sin in First Peter and then sexual sin in First Corinthians. You know, you recognize this. And An illustration I've used before is like, you know, you give a present to a kid on Christmas and they open it up and maybe it's something that you've saved for and you've spent a lot of money, <laughs> maybe... You know, when I was a kid it was for twenty dollars that was a lot of money. Now three, four hundred dollars, you buy him something that's really significant, right? And the kid just tosses it aside. You say, Oh my goodness, did you not understand how much sacrifice, how much went into getting you that gift? You want the kid to play with it. You want him to appreciate it, right? That's what God is saying in the First Peter passage, and that's the underlying concept in 1 Corinthians passage. You've been bought with a price, a valuable price. It took God to come to earth and to die and to shed his blood, so therefore you could have eternity, you can have right relationship with God. Don't you dare think that this is something that is simple. Oh, I'm safe now, and it doesn't matter how I live. And this is where you get into the whole... Concept where before we talked about the fact that people say well i'm a sinner it doesn't matter how I live in the flesh That blows that idea totally out of the water It does matter and if some of you are doing things that are improper you need to stop today You need to get right today don't put it off And just keep this before you Go with the mindset i'm gonna honor god it's his Body now he owns me So you go back to 1 Corinthians and you say, what is the command? What is the instruction? It's glorify God, honor God. And the word glorify means make something weighty, make it heavy. Show it as something that's significant in your life. Show that God matters. Show that it's serious, that you're not gonna play games with what you see, what you speak, and what you do. Okay? Glorify God. And and again, it's not that God is against sexual activity. He's against sexual perversion. He's against things that are wrong. And when you grasp that, it should put a fear of God in you because that's what the passage in First Peter was. They were not playing games. And so this morning, it was not by accident, I was came across a message about the warning in Matthew where Jesus says, you know, on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and it's like, get away from me. I never knew you. What do you mean? Wasn't I religious? Wasn't I in church? Wasn't I someone that did all these religious things? I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. I never lived inside you. And look at your life right now. Is God someone that you're following? Does he really live in you? And if he does, then you want to glorify him with your body. Please, please, please. Recently, I had someone from another church tell me, I'm a believer, and it doesn't matter if I have sex outside of marriage. Don't you dare tell me what to do. And I say, well, yes, it does. It does matter, because God does care, and, and what you need to understand, and I wanted to read this so that people understood this isn't just for me. This is, um, Warren Weir'sby said this, and he said, in my pastoral counseling, I've had to help married couples whose relationships was falling apart because of consequences of premarital sex as well as extramarital sex. The harvest of sowing to the flesh is sometimes delayed, meaning you don't always find the penalty right away. That's what he's saying. But it is certain, Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 teaches, what you reap, you sow, is what that passage goes on to. Wiersbe says, how sad it is to live with the consequences of even forgiven sin, which is Fascinating. Having said this, we must also realize there are eternal consequences for people who practice sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, Paul twice states that people who practice such sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. A Christian may fall into these sins and be forgiven, as was David. David sinned. David, we believe, was a believer in God. But no Christian would practice them, as 1 John 3, verses 1-10 says. And that's why, look over in your own Bibles, I'm going to stop right here. You look at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Those beginning l- sins were sexual sins. And, and he says, you know, will inherit the kingdom of God, verse 10. But here's the key, verse 11. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. Because through Jesus Christ, we've stopped that. We're no longer like that. So Wiersbe goes on to say, we must remember the grace of God can change the sinner's life. And such were some of you. It's wonderful how faith in Christ makes a sinner into a new creation, as 2 Corinthians teaches. And it is important that we live like those who are part of God's new creation. We are not our own. We belong to the Father who made us, the Son who redeemed us, and the Spirit who indwells us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think about that. All three of those in that text. We also belong to the people of God, the church, and our sins can weaken the testimony and infect the fellowship. Let us all remember be holy, for I am holy. So, as I started off, and I said, We live in a sexually impure society. I'm sickened by what goes on in our culture. I really am. And how bolder and how bolder it's getting. But no matter where you've been, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've participated in, remember there's only one unpardonable sin, and that is when you deny Jesus Christ as God and man who died on the cross. Don't deny Jesus. But if you're in sexual sin, repent and turn to God today. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this warning, and I'm hoping that this isn't even going out to people that are participating in sin that it's just gonna continue to keep us on edge and keep us aware to not go down a path that you don't want us to go into because sexual sin so destroys us, so messes people up. And, and I'm just burdened by it, the hatred for what this does to people. Oh, Lord, help, help us to be consciously aware of the reality of how the Father works in us, the Son works in us, And how we stand today as representatives of God's temple. It's incomprehensible. The Shekinah glory, the cloud that I've even mentioned the name, that God lives in us. May that reality come to every believer and help protect them in the walk that they have. And perhaps there's someone here today and they're thinking, you know what? God doesn't own me. I'm in control of my own life. I pray that as they look at their own life, they recognize sin has its season. And as we've studied in previous Sundays, that death is there and judgment is there and that there is no escaping consequences. And may their eyes finally be opened and their need for Christ to be in their life, God. And may they come to faith in Jesus Christ today. Today. We thank you, Lord, that you care so much to talk about sensitive subjects in your word. And as we go into the upcoming weeks and we talk about decisions whether to be married, not to be married, and sexual act, other aspects of sexual activity, I pray that we always carry this with a sensitivity and awareness that people have made mistakes in our church. We all have. I have. And we're thankful for your forgiveness. Oh, how I just pray that we can minimize those experiences by taking passages like this to heart. Please, God, help us take these to heart. In Jesus' name,